Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, as here as almost always with co-host Alan Goldman. How are you feeling, Alan? Oh, I'm just feeling dandy. Mm. I, I hope my voice isn't too hoarse. Well, you do seem a little under the weather, but we'll struggle through. In all our uh, pre-Pesach preparations, we're doing this uh, episode over Skype, so you'll definitely hear that in the sound. But we sort of, before we go, obviously next week on Pesach, we won't have an episode. So we wanted to do an episode today, filling in what are the news stories uh, that are, you know, that are the topics of conversation, but also ones that we think we should keep an eye open for moving forward. Is that a good assessment of what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah, I think some of them are just one, like, the, you know, a couple of interesting things are going on now, and other one, others are definitely developing stuff. So the issues we want to relate to are Netanyahu's hospitalization and why that matters politically, what's going on at Gaza, uh, the Israel's relationship with Russia, and an update on the asylum seekers. And then a heads up about the embassy. So let's yep. go through them. Sounds uh, good. I thought that Raul Woodless article, a uh, friend of the show, Raul's article was... One-time uh, guest. Hopefully we'll have him back again. Yeah, that's what friend of the show means. Uh, oh. I, I thought his article was terrific, pointing out that, that BB went into the hospital with a very high fever and a very bad cough. The doctors think it's... Last okay. night. Uh, the doctors think he should be fine. It seems like it was a pretty uh, minor incident, although it's scary when the prime minister gets rushed to the hospital. He was conscious and didn't lose control at any time. But I well, what? I just want to point out that I just want to point out, but my being sick didn't make headline news. I just point that out. Yeah, what's up with that, man? I don't know. <laughs> you should be calling all the news agencies and letting them yeah. know. Exactly. I mean, you sound terrible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so we're doing our best to get that story out through our yeah. little podcast. Um, exactly. But in terms of the prime minister, I, I did not know how su- succession works here in Israel. Like I know in the U.S. there was a there was an amendment to the constitution right. that was put together for the chain of, of once somebody's incapacitated, how that goes. In Israel, it's much less former, formal, apparently, and the basic law says that if the prime minister doesn't set up, he has to, every time he's, let's say, going for surgery, he has to set up who should take over if he's incapacitated. If he doesn't, then the cabinet has to vote. Right. Which, in a system where there isn't a clear second, would lead to a lot of chaos within the cabinet fighting over who is going to be the acting prime minister. Yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty sure when Sharon went, wasn't wasn't Edel Omar number two in the in the Kadima? Edel Omar was apparently appointed beforehand. But Sharon said oh. Sharon had already appointed him. That if anything happens to me, he's the oh, one who should take over. Because he had had that earlier stroke. Yeah. So that, that, because Sharon had made it clear, Ehud mm. Olmert stepped in. 
when uh, when Perez took over for Rabin, it was because uh, the cabinet chose him. Right, because he was number two in uh, in labor. Well, but again, because but Rabin had not put had the prime minister has to designate somebody. Right, right, right. And he hadn't, so the cabinet there was an once once after Rabin Perez was obvious to the cabinet. Right. Because of Bibi's leadership style, there is no obvious second. Mm. And when he travels or be- goes offline for whatever reason, he has chosen, like, I don't know, eight different people who should take over for him. And he appears right. to do that on purpose so that there is no obvious right. next person in line. Right. Um, that has to do with his leadership style. Most political commentators assume it's because he doesn't want there to be competition for the number one spot, so he doesn't make anybody an obvious number two in right. in the Likud. So right. I just thought that was an interesting insight that his leadership style and a lack of clear formal rules of succession means that in theory, and thank God, you know, we wish him full healing as soon as possible, but there are consequences that you don't always think about. Yeah. Yeah, what would, uh, and that's, uh, again, Israel's political system is a lot murkier. I mean, this is a man who doesn't even fill his cabinet ministries. Right. Choosing to occupy them himself. Right. Which is bizarre. Well, that's you've had the foreign Israel. A lot of prime ministers are also the defense ministers. That happens often here. Often? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the um prime ministers over the years kept the defense ministry for themselves. I don't know how many exactly, but it's not so you know, I mean there haven't been that many prime ministers altogether, but but certainly not foreign ministry, that's weird. Yeah. How many ministries does BB hold? I don't know. No, he definitely holds more because he's using his political cards. Right. There's again, never been a, there's never Israel, been a prime minister quite like Bibi. But Israel's ministry, all Israel's cabinet, has become bloated over the last decade or more. It used to be much smaller. Yeah. And then you know that happens everywhere. That's normal. Then, right. But also what happened because is when when parties started getting less numbers and had to include more parties in the coalition, they right. had to increased ministries to give out, you know, to people. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's just another uh, element of electoral and system reform that Israel needs. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's just endless. So should we talk about Gaza? Yeah, go ahead. So Gaza has become very um, uh, a focus, at least in the Israeli media, with the number of incidents on the border and in, in, in a couple in the last couple of weeks, um, attacks and uh, yesterday, particularly in the morning, three Gazans, in fact, were able to infiltrate into Israel with um, grenades and knives and made it very close to one of the Israeli's biggest bases, the Tzilim base, um, which is a huge base for. Uh, maneuvers and what have you in the south and uh, before they were caught they know from the time that they were it was 
figured out that people would come over. It took the army and whatever, an hour and 20 minutes to catch them. Nobody knows exactly when they came over, at least in my last reading. But that just well, shows that... it seems like that, they just uh, sort of meandered along. It doesn't even seem like it was this... This is like not a complicated commando raid. They just sort of cut a hole in the fence and just strolled along. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, people come over the border not as infrequently as we think. Right. Um, but, uh, in fact, sometimes they come over to get caught to be put in Israeli jail, apparently, because it's better than being in Gaza. <laughs> right. Um, well, these but, guys were carrying grenades and knives. Exactly. So they still haven't finished the vaccination, but it just shows that, that there's been constant, constant, uh, low-level, what do we call it, low-level friction conflict on, on the Gaza border. Um, and this week also, there was, or last week, it was last week at the beginning of this week. Do you week, use it Seva Dome app? What? Do you use it Seva yeah. Dome app? Yeah. Because mine went crazy. Yes, I was just about to say that because what happened, there were the, the Hamas had military, had a big military maneuvers. I think the first ones ever that I remember, kind of a show, you know, to show the world, to give a message to Israel and, and Abbas and the Palestinian Authority that they're forced to be reckoned with. Um, and in that, Israel's Iron Dome uh, accidentally or went off during these maneuvers and um, apparently cost Israel a lot of money uh, for oversensitivity, I think was the English headline. But it just shows the, the tension and the oversensitivity. You know, it's very sensitive right now. Apparently Friday morning, there's a march to the fence, which is being um, promoted from Gaza, which brings us back to a march a few months ago when a, a, a Gazan amputee had been hurted and hurt in one of the earlier conflicts, was shot, and the, and the Hamas claimed it was by Israel. So Israel just um, finished its own report on it and its investigation, and it said that um, Israeli snipers had stopped firing an hour before it was claimed that he was hit. So, so it's um, hard to have shot him when they were shooting. Exactly. But on the other hand, tension. Yeah. What do you make of all this increased tension? Look, the basic increased tension always comes from economic hardship in Gaza. Bottom line is economic hardship in Gaza. And basically, the the PA, since the Kielu agreement that they had, has turned off the funding. You know, they won't pay for electricity. They won't pay for anything. And, you know, Gazans don't. Have, have limited electricity, for instance. I don't know how, how many hours at this point, because I think there's a little bit more. But there was a point where they were getting two hours of electricity a day. So all of this economic, whenever there's economic hardship, so they rank up the conflict on the border also. Um, and that's, as a you know, distraction, you're saying? As a distraction, yeah. As a distraction, as also a way for getting attention. Not just distraction, Look. but a way for getting attention. Yeah. Meaning Look, the international I mean, community... pays attention when there's conflict. When there's not conflict and they're just stewing without jobs, without money, without food, without... Nobody really pays attention. Well, it's a squeaky wheel. Yeah. So... I I will tell you that from an Israeli perspective... Look, if you remember back... The messed up over the rockets. By the way, would you recommend that our listeners get a Seva Adom app for their phone that notifies them when a rocket is launched, even if they're not in Israel? I don't know if I, it, you just have to be sure that you want to get woken up at two in the morning. 
from a Tevo dome. Well, you can do you can you can Not set fun. the notifications <coughs> to be kind to your lifestyle. But I, I do think it's worth <laughs> being aware. But but that, I mean, I remember my, my daughter and I, my daughter and I were visiting America in the summer, and there was a Tevo dome. It was like two, three in the morning, and it woke us up, and like we like immediately got ready to like run to the shelter, and then realized we were in America. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. When I lived in America, I got one because I wanted to. I, I wanted to be woken up. In other words, if I'm going to live in America, I should at least have enough solidarity that I should be familiar with the the. Uh, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say trauma, but alerts. Right. Uh, but but that's that's a that's a, an Iron Dome. I don't know. If failure is the right word, but it's an Iron Dome misfire. Yeah, and then you have three guys, armed guys, yeah, just walking around. Yeah, walking around in Israel's desert. It's scary. Yeah. We're not used yeah. to. We 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 have we like the illusion that Israeli security is un you know unimpeachable, yeah. but there, but it doesn't always work right. It's just it's <laughs> it's ultimately people doing things. Look, at the end of the day, anybody who served the Israeli army knows. I, I, this is what I use as proof to my children that there's a God is the fact that <laughs> we are so successful because any army is a huge bureaucracy and it's not perfect. And, right. you know, there's lots of mistakes that are made con- constantly. Um, but uh, well, I just want to point out, and then we can maybe move on to the next one, Tsuketan happened after Egypt closed the border between Egypt and Sinai and, and Gaza and created that hardship. That that is really the what was behind that whole um, Suketan uh, 2014 conflict. Um, yes, there's triggers, the kidnapping of the boys, but the increased rockets were because of that. So Suketan, which in English was Operation Strong Cliff, Protective oh, I Edge. I don't know something Protect, like that. No, Protective Edge was the one before. Whatever it is, if you look back at all the incidents that go on, it always goes back to. To um, you know, behind the scenes is economics and politics. Right, right. We think of it, and we tend to assume that it has something to do with what's going on on our side, but it's really yeah. more probably what's going on inside Gaza. Right, and also they they're linking it to this ongoing, underlying succession, uh, you know, struggle when Abu Mazen apparently, who's in very ill, bad health. Uh, will no longer be on the scene. Well, as we've talked about a lot of times, Palestinian leadership is in shambles now while they have a leader. What's going to happen when he passes? Exactly. So, although things seem quiet, we really need to be diligent in in keeping uh, ahead of things. Which is hard to do because it's very hard to predict what's about to happen. Yeah. The only constant in the Middle East is change. Yeah. I don't know in the Middle East, but yeah, absolutely. Russia? Talk about change? Well, it's, uh, it's actually the opposite of a story. It's something that didn't happen. You, know, you have 23 yeah. democracies, Western democracies, rallying around Great Britain. Why? Why? Tell what, happened. what happened in Great Britain that everybody's pissed at Russia? Well, everyone's mad at Russia for a number of things, including election meddling across. But this in particular was for uh, murdering a former Russian, uh, a spy 
a, a double double agent. He and his daughter, Sergei, I don't know how to say his last name, Skripal, and his yeah. daughter were attacked with a Soviet nerve agent. So it wasn't just that the Russians killed an expat who had been spying against them, which is something they do not infrequently, but usually they preserve some sort of plausible deniability that they had that it came from the Russian government. But this one was so clearly a Soviet nerve agent, it was like... It was, so they denied it, but it was like signed at the bottom. It was a real, a really nasty, aggressive act against uh, Great Britain yeah. and NATO countries. So these 23 countries got together, all together expelling more than 120 Russian diplomats, shutting down uh, consulates and things like that. Yeah. And Israel did not participate. Yeah, Israel so far stayed quiet. Yeah. Look, Israel's in a precarious position with Russia. It's not so far away, and, and Russia has troops on Israel's border in Syria, and has made it very clear that, that Syria is an important military stronghold for Russia. And Israel also relies on Russian compliance when we want to bomb you know, Iranian Hezbollah uh, convoys that are bringing you know, weapons that Israel feels is is dangerous to us. So Israel needs to be on good relations with Russia for a lot of reasons. We also have a million, I don't know if they're still citizens of Russia, Yeah. but over a million Israelis are from, the, certainly from the former Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. Russia itself. Yeah, but I'm not sure, how, how does that play in? Do they feel an allegiance, you think, to Russia? I don't know. Like, I mean, Israelis are saying that that does play a role, that because you have these Russian expats that still have a relationship to their homeland, you, that's also part of what's leading to Israeli uh, neutrality between Russian and Western countries. By the way, Bibi also uh, sent Putin a letter with sincere congratulations yeah. on winning his election. I don't know. Those were, I'll say two things about this whole Russian Union. They left, they left the Soviet Union because they wanted to live in the West, and this was their best option. That, you know, A. B, I would say, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't really seen any surveys. I don't know if surveys have been done of that. But I would say I would like to fall back on our fallback position always, our default position, which is countries are guided by real politics. And the real politics here is a balance between being part of the Western world but having some real serious um, necessity to get along with Russia in terms of practical safety and security? Uh, I guess so. Uh, there's no question that over the past few years, BP has gone out of his way to go and meet with Putin and make he's sure that... More, that more, than any other, more than any other leader in the, in, the, in the world. He's met with Putin more than any other leader. I just think there's a price to that, which is that if you want to say you're a Western country, you want Western countries to see you as one of them, you know, you want to say, well, we're a democracy like every other democracy. We're part of the world like every other part of the world. And then have a different relationship with Russia. You know, there's, there, you're, you're, you're playing a game that's risky. There's a real politic in that also. Absolutely. But if you're, if you're flying sorties over Russian military, you know, yeah, you got to be able to be, you know, that they're going to stand down. 
And you're, you're going to give them flight codes. You're going to give them flight codes and things like that. And Israel right. does. Monthly is attacking Syria. We're hitting Syria monthly. Right. Or and, 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 and we can't tell Russia, look, stay out of this. We don't want to ratchet up a problem. Yeah. That, that has to be, you have to, you have to, forgive me, you have to kiss Russia's tuchus to do that? I think so. I'm not sure. I don't know. It, to me, it's scary when you're, look, the, Israel's relationship to the West was never a given. It developed in the 50s and 60s. Right. It, it could have gone differently. And, and if you strain those relationships to the West, which you say you value so highly, and you want to be your identity, and you want to be perceived in the West as one of the group. Well, okay. So then when, they, when push comes to shove, are you going to be on their side or not? If not, okay, then you're not one of us. And there's a real price for that also. Well, so I'll put out here now, do you think that there's, you know, because of, do you think that things would be different if it was President Obama over President Trump? terms of Israel's reaction. No. Meaning President Trump no. seems to not pressure Israel into positions at all. Well, President Trump also is not very tough on Russia. Exactly. So those two things coming together may no, feel but that... No, Bibi's been, been snuggling up with Putin certainly during the Obama administration Possibly Obviously. as a smack to the Obama administration. No, I no, 100%. But I'm just saying, but now in this kind of tense situation, he feels less pressure to have to toe the Western line. Well, that's true. But if you want to look, I, I was very influenced by Sharansky's book, The Case for Democracy. Huh. That you, See, uh, that you, another thing, another thing we have in common, but we must have discussed this. It's, I'm sure too. we have. But I, and when you, when you, look, when Switzerland, I'm, I'm not, I'm, okay, this is a very rough analogy. I'm not saying this is the same. But when Switzerland stayed neutral during World War II. Yeah. You're neutral between the Allies and the Nazis? Like, that's, now, I, I don't know what diplomatic position price they had to pay for that. I think but it was very they, useful for I don't all those they, countries to have a neutral state. Yeah, they, they didn't pay a price at all. It was very, it was, it was very, it was very convenient for the West and the, the, the Allies and the. It was convenient to have, but in the years that followed, a lot of a lot of moral opprobrium, at least, was was uh, uh, invaded against Switzerland for the fact that it made money off. You know, stolen Jewish Nazi Nazi stolen Jewish loot, and just processed it like it was regular. I mean, if Israel wants to be like Switzerland, I guess it can. But I, I would I would prefer a country that stood up for values and democracy, and wasn't only guided by real politics, which you can argue both sides of. I think. Uh. Uh, maybe. I mean, again, we'll see how much pressure they get from the EU. I mean, I think Israel feels often, one can note that Israel feels less of an allegiance when we talk to the West, to the European Union, than they do to America. That's true. Meaning if this had been in America, there may, may have been, you know, if this had happened in America, Israel may have been much more willing to take a stance. It could be. But if you're working on getting England on your side, diplomatically, 
this isn't going to help. You know, I don't know. I, I, I understand the Israeli concerns. I don't know. I don't know if Israel should be neutral on this issue. And Israel's moral standing, I think, is a good segue to uh, the Asylum Seekers update. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that uh, the deportations are currently frozen. Let's just go back for a second. Give two sentences about the Asylum Seekers. Well, we have, what, 38,000? Yeah. Mostly oh. Africans from Eritrea here. Uh Something like, I don't know, the vast majority, I think, are Eritrean, and then we have some yeah. Sudanese. Yeah. But yeah, and the government are... refuses to process them to separate between. The government is saying that they are essentially here like migrants looking for better economic opportunities, and they're not granting them the right to immigrate, when it's pretty clear to everybody that these are horrible countries, and these are asylum seekers seeking refuge, and that's an agreed-upon standard of Western countries. You give people... Yeah. There, so, have been, there have been 16,000 uh, applications for refugee status, and only something like 15 granted. Not 15,000, 15 out of 16,000. Right. I don't even is, know if it's is it 15 yet. I don't even know if the number is up to 15 yet. Maybe. I could it's, it's ridiculous. It's, I think it's 13. Uh, and and uh, and the Israeli government is saying, we think 80% of them are just migrants and 20% are refugees. What are you basing that on without a process? So we think that without a process, Israel can't really even talk about what's going right. on. They're not going to make any moves till after the Pesach holiday. But they are now saying that if the single men agree to be deported, then the women, children, and married men can stay. And out of the 38,000, apparently 20,000 are single men. Right. Uh, again, I, I just don't understand. That just doesn't seem to be a process of anything, any other conclusion. That is not a process. You know, that's, oh, okay, you're married, you can stay. So, maybe, you know, it's like assuming. We're assuming since you're a single man, you're a migrant worker. You're migrating for, for economic reasons. Why, why would you make that assumption? Again, know. it also goes to, to it also goes to the fact that not really looking context. Whereas, you know, say well they were running away from the army, but in the army like these places is like Jews in the Canton system back in the 19th century, where right. if a kid if you were taken as a kid into the army and that was the end of your life, you're going to be in the army for 25 years. You were taken away from your home, your family, your your people, your culture. So that's what it's like in these places. They're taken as kids. They're there for decades. It's not just a draft in a Western country where right. it's 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 a defined time and and a reasonable age, you know. So it's very it's very much a mess that you know. Again, as we've said before, it really needs a process. It doesn't seem like even what's going on it doesn't seem like this is any kind of clear process. No, there was a big protest uh, this Saturday, this past Saturday night in Tel Aviv. Yeah, like twenty two. Sorry, like twenty thousand or something people. Yeah, which in Israel is a large, that's a pretty serious protest. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, that's a protester for every single asylum seeker, Yeah, uh, which is pretty serious numbers. So it's certainly not an uncontroversial issue within Israel, although the majority of Israelis seem to be okay with the government just fumbling their way through to just uh, deporting them. 
look again, 38,000 people. I'm not saying this is good. We, obviously we both think this is problematic morally and all that. But if you take the normal person day to day Israeli, 38,000 people doesn't really affect their life so much. No, it won't affect Israel. I, I, I don't think in, in a large way, it's a small, relatively small number in a country with like 8 million humans. Yeah. So, but and most people come in contact. Most people don't come in contact with them, and it's not going to have a huge effect on the economy. But I do yeah. think, it, in terms of character of the state, I do think it's it's yeah. absolutely yeah yeah. It leaves it leaves a mark on who we are and who we want I mean, to be. In the end of the day, if it comes down to a fight, kind of a symbolic fight, like you're saying, the character that way, or or so another side says, well, you know feeling threatened from a, as a Jewish country from all sides. I think that that's an underlying uh, theme running in, you know, a more right-wing nationalist uh, atmosphere. Yeah. Well, that's for sure true. And that's not something that's uh, unique. It seems to be happening around the world. Exactly. Look, it's... Uh, it's it's a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the world trying to figure out adapting to the 21st century and all kinds of migration and open, like globalization, all that kind of stuff. Like, how is that going to work? And if you think back to 1918, I don't think anybody could have predicted where the world would have been in 1980 or 1990 or 2000. For sure. So Absolutely. our ability to imagine 2080 or 2100. Right. But we do believe that the world is moving in the right direction. Uh, Passover, we talk about, uh, you know, as a holiday of redemption, isn't the end of a story. It's it's it's, be, it's the beginning of a migrating people. It's the beginning of a migrating people, and it's the beginning of a process of growth that continues yeah. on and on. And we're still on that journey, still working, moving forward, and learning the lesson that that we don't move forward through passivity. We move forward and get closer to redeeming our people by taking a strong stands when we can. Strong stands, embassy. Oh, I was wrapping up. Do you want to say something about the embassy? You just you said the embassy. We said, you know, I guess this, uh, after Pesach, you know, Pesach begins the season of our redemption, you could say, right? And, of course, in our modern redemption, that leads us, this season between Pesach and Shavuos has a, lot of, has a lot of points of redemption. One of those is, of course, Israel independence. In other words, Jerusalem Day, uh, marking the reunification of Jerusalem. And uh, this year, uh, on the Gregorian date of Israeli independence, which does not correspond this year with the Hebrew date, was when we celebrated here in Israel, um, America is supposed to be moving the, their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And apparently things are underway, pretty, pretty underway, um, expanding, um, you know, the, getting the building ready. And Israel's, Israel's very bureaucratic system of allowing building is being put aside, apparently, so that the, it can happen. I said it's that in a very long way. It's all being fast-tracked. Thank you. Thank you. I, I don't know if you hear it on this, but I guess they're cleaning in my house. 
and someone just put the doors on very loudly and it's distracting me. I I'm not hearing hear your end. Are you hearing all the pace up work going on on my end? What? Did you hear it? No. No. All right. Well, hopefully it won't come out. Listeners, you can tell us if you did hear all the action on both sides of this recording. Uh, let us know. Write us your angry uh, <coughs> comments. But mostly, we'd rather hear positive comments and questions. Uh, no question of the week still because schools are out of session. But hopefully that's a segment we'll be able to go back to after when we pass over this season of redemption. All right. Well, feel better, Alan. Thank you. You too. And Shavachad Kasher V'Sameach Azizin Beitach. That to all our listeners and to all of the Jewish people. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us, and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much.